Hey there, it's Mitch here. And before we get into today's episode, our spring membership drive has officially sprung and we've got one heck of a giveaway. When you make a donation in any amount to Vermont Public by March 16th, you'll be entered to win a new roof valued up to $15,000 thanks to Vermont Construction Company. Your support makes everything we do possible. Make a gift today so we can keep bringing you the trustworthy, reliable news you count on day in and day out. To make your gift, head to vermontpublic.org donate. And thanks. From Vermont Public, this is The Frequency. I'm Mitch Wertlieb. It's Monday, February 26th, and here are today's headlines. A Vermont Senate committee advanced a major flood resilience bill last week. The legislation would discourage further development in river corridors, and it would strengthen protections for wetlands in Vermont. The bill also tries to strengthen state oversight of Vermont's 1,000-plus dams. Julie Moore is Secretary of Natural Resources, and she says the agency needs more time to do what the bill calls for, especially for river corridors. This is a really significant change in public policy. It would implicate, by our best estimates, 45,000 parcels statewide. Governor Phil Scott says he has concerns about the bill's cost. The administration says bolstering protections for floodplains and river corridors should be the first priority. On town meeting day, Richmond will vote on whether or not to borrow up to $9.8 million to renovate the town center. The structure was built in 1907 and expanded in 1914, but select board member Jeff Forward says it's showing its age. We've had a, uh, engineers and architects look at it. Uh, the foundation is good, the roof is good, and the walls are good. Just about everything else is not. It's suffered from deferred maintenance really for the last hundred years. If voters pass the measure, Forward says the town's center interior would be rebuilt with a new electrical HVAC system, sprinklers, plumbing, wiring, and a fire escape. The renovation would also include flood mitigation measures and a new floor plan. Stakeholders are hoping Bennington County's first addiction recovery house can open in June. That's after the Bennington Select Board approved a key piece of funding to renovate the historic Squire House, which will be converted into apartments. The facility is expected to provide housing and support for women as they advance past the early stages of recovery when a lack of affordable housing can lead to relapse. The Bennington Banner reports the building will have nine beds for women and dependent children. The Vermont Foundation of Recovery will run the space, and Mission City Church is expected to provide programming support. Inclusive Arts Vermont opened its fifth biennial exhibition last week. The exhibition, titled Cycles, is currently on display at the University of Vermont's Davis Center. It shows the work of 25 artists with disabilities. Among them was Winooski artist Persephone Ringenberg. She has a piece called Hair Suspension, which includes four photos of a woman hanging from a carabiner attached to her hair at the Champlain Valley Fair. Ringenberg says she was drawn to the woman's movement. And as a person living with epilepsy, she says making art is how she catches memories. So I've had numerous seizures, and I sort of have TBIs from it. And my memory, I have good memory on some things and bad memories on others. That's how I remember things and capture moments is by taking pictures. The Cycles exhibition offers physically accessible space and materials are available in multiple formats, including print, large print, braille, audio, and digital, as well as some tactile representations. 
There's also a remote online tour of the exhibition. Governor Phil Scott has appointed a new Superior Court judge. Kate Gallagher of Williston has worked for the state of Vermont for almost 20 years, according to a news release. She served in the Civil Division of the Vermont Attorney General's Office and as Commissioner of the State Department of Human Resources. Before coming to the Green Mountain State, Gallagher was a partner at a private practice in New Jersey where she focused on commercial litigation, products liability, and personal injury defense. Coming up, a chronicle of the flooding that hit Callis and the town's response. That's after this. The Frequency is supported by MVP Healthcare, offering Medicare Advantage plans made for Vermont and guided by doctors, in partnership with the UVM Health Network. Info at uvmhealthadvantage.com. All over Vermont, town reports this year will provide accounts of July's floods. The assistant town clerk in Callis requested that someone in town prepare a narrative report on the Callis flood response. Vermont Public Reporter Erica Heilman, together with her friend and neighbor Tobin Anderson, volunteered. Here's a sampling of what they heard from residents, starting with John Stafford, foreman of the road crew. At the beginning of the flood? Oh, you want to do it that way then? Okay. (laughs) At the beginning of the flood, we all were on County Road. Six, seven trees and power lines. That was the first indication of the storm. There was a couple culverts who were over flooding right away. And... We were on a washout on West Church where the culvert just blew out of the road and down into a field. This is Peter Daly. Backing down Moscow Woods to go bring gravel to a hole that we were supposed to fill. And then when we got there, it was not, we weren't going to be able to do it with wire trucks. We just, not with a couple loads. The size of that hole was ridiculously huge. It was like a cowboy movie. There was no road. It was just gone. Bliss Road Bliss Road was, was like probably a, the worst. It was a pit. Yeah, Bliss Road actually, there was actually people went to Bliss Pond to, uh, they were panning for gold. It was that deep. <laughs> yeah, it was that deep. They were actually panning for gold down in there. Did we find any? No, we couldn't hang around. We were busy. And then, uh, I don't know if they're still here, all the kids. This is from the elementary school. This is Tyler Stecker. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Dear road crew, thank you for working so hard on fixing the road so we can go to the places we want to. With eternal gratitude, Rowan. Eternal? (laughs) That was my favorite. We are very thankful this didn't happen, and it's a flaming car jumping over a hole. It's pretty neat. All right, gentlemen, we have taken too much of your time. Thank you very, very much. We drove over to talk with Alice C.V. Winsinger, who lives on Route 14 with her goats and chickens and bees. <sighs> I'm on Kingsbury Branch, as you can see. It became my whole backyard. Six feet. And buildings were washing away with animals in them. I lost a couple of chickens because they're not very smart. And people that were not chicken people were trying to help me. And so they were doing what they thought they needed to do, but the birds were getting away from them and then falling in the water and getting swept away. But I only lost three out of 135, so yay us. But my other animals were on the other side of the river, and I had no way to get to them. I also, that's where I store most of my feed. I couldn't get to Tractor Supply because Peak and Branch was underwater. I couldn't get to Tractor Supply in Morseville because the roads were gone in Hardwick. I had no way to get animal food. And... People in the village started, like, just emptying their refrigerators and freezers and bringing me stuff for the animals, like cooked rice and food scraps and stale bread, anything they could find. And I have um, 
different sizes and ages of goats. And early on when the water was like waist deep, people were still able to pick up the smaller goats, but my last two were bigger and heavier and panicking because goats don't do water. And I stayed in the barn with the two girls and tried to keep them calm. My husband and the neighbor, Jim, got the canoe and, you know, waded out and we stuck the end of the canoe right into the barn. And I was able to get them into the canoe. And then my husband took them all the way from over here, all the way down the river to my parents' property and got them safe. I lost my bees, which broke my heart, but I had to, we had made the decision, save goats first, chickens second, bees third. What do you I mean? This is kind of a book report question, but go for what it. What do you think you learned about Callus? I learned that this community cares. I'm going to get choked up. Hmm. Um, I mean, people I didn't even know just showed up. That doesn't happen everywhere. I came back to Callus for a reason. I grew up right there, in the back, and uh, I got a chance to come back. Usually they're screaming at me at this hour. So, but yes, I have 21 goats. They're over there. I have um, eight of them that free range. Goat girls! Usually they'd be right over by that tractor coming out, in and out of the barn. I don't know. Curiosity! How are you? Okay, I'll be right over. Yeah. We drove over to the Maple Corner store to talk with Jamie Morby, general manager of the store, also a select board member, and at the time of the flood, she was one of two acting road commissioners, and she was managing volunteers at the Curtis Dam. I'd been meeting with the head of Vermont Dam Safety on the Curtis Pond Dam at 11 o'clock that night, making a plan for how to save the dam from, from going down in the flood. And when I was leaving at maybe one in the morning, there was a car in the parking lot, and it was people from out of town who had been diverted off of 89 in Barrie and were trying to get to Burlington and found themselves in Maple Corner. But there were a lot of those stories of people passing through who got stuck here. There was an emergency select board meeting that night or the next night. And at the end of it, this couple came in who nobody recognized. And we said, hi, and how can we help you? And they said, can you just help us find a pavement? <laughs> and they were just like lost on the back roads of Callis. <laughs> this is Callis Emergency Response Manager, Toby Talbot. Well, there's 73 miles of road in town, and I would say at least a third of them were damaged and, and impacted, and probably five or six were completely impassable. So we weren't in a hurry to fix driveways. So a lot of people called and said, when are you coming by to fix the end of my driveway so I can get, get out? And it's like we said, call your neighbor with a tractor, have them drag some gravel out of your driveway and f make a temporary fix. And when we get to your road, we'll deal with what we would normally deal with, but you're not a high priority. So another really good reason to be nice to your neighbors with bucket loaders. <laughs> yes. Always have a friend with a tractor. You'll need, or chainsaw, chainsaw or a tractor. Yeah. Right. 
I'm Erica Heilman with Vermont Public. Thanks for listening to The Frequency today. We had additional reporting from Abigail Giles, Corey Doxer, Kevin Trevlin, and Elodie Reed. Our executive producer is Kevin Trevlin, and our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Mitch Wertlieb. Talk to you tomorrow. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.